0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with us to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14 in your Bibles, if you would, please. And uh, I've got some handouts I'm going to give you in a few moments. But I want you to look at this 14th chapter because today we're going to be looking at a very interesting portion of the scriptures. And as you know, the book of Romans is a book where Paul... Uh, sort of defends his position and the position of the Gentiles right to be saved and he says they're saved by grace and that through faith and not by works of the law and so he points this out in the book of Romans extensively also in the book of Galatians also in the book of, uh, of Ephesians he does as well and uh, some of the other epistles he deals more with the applications of Christianity to our lives where in these gospel book, these uh, epistles, he refers a lot to the fact that we can be saved who are Gentiles. And then we come to the place in the Bible at the end of Romans where he does talk about the application of Christianity to we who serve God and live for God, which are Gentiles. In uh, chapter 14, he deals with the subject of holy days and the meats that we eat. And the reason he does is because there were Christian Jews who were saying that you still had to keep the Sabbath, and you still had to only eat meats that were con- that were considered uh, clean foods in the Old Testament, and uh, and you could not eat those that were considered unclean in the Old Testament. In other words, they were taking you back under the law. Paul went on to say that we are not saved through the works of the law, we're saved through the wonderful grace of God, just God's grace who is good to us. And uh, we have not earned it. We do not deserve it. But because God is good, he has saved us by his grace. And that through faith, if we believe in the Lord and believe in his grace and everything and accept that and act upon it and live by it, then God's grace is applied to our lives. Praise God. So Paul uh, goes into chapter 14. We talked about 13, how that he applies the Christian concepts about, you know, Christian living, be kind to people, you know, treat your enemies right uh, and so forth, treat everybody else alike as, you know, love your neighbor as yourself and so forth. We concluded with that. So today we're going to go into 14 where he deals with this subject about uh, meats and also with the holy days. I'm going to read uh, verses one. This is chapter 14 of Romans. I'm going to read verses 1 down through 3, and then, then 5 on down through 6, 5 and 6 together. Look at very closely here with me. It says, him that is weak in faith receive you, but not to doubtful disput, disputations. Uh, in other words, don't get into disputes about it. But people who are weak in faith and do not understand that you can eat anything you want to eat, As long as you pray for it and God's blessings upon it, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures for that in a few moments. But uh, he said that uh, you can eat these things because God's grace covers everything. But he said if somebody is weak in understanding that and they still feel like they've got to just, you know, always eat whatever the Old Testament said they could eat, uh, then they would say, okay, then give place to that. But don't be contentious about it. Disputations, discussing it, arguing it, and disputing over it uh, often. He says, verse 2, for one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. In other words, he doesn't believe in eating meats, perhaps. Verse 3, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. What he's saying here, if a person has certain feelings or convictions about it leave, it, leave it with him. If that's the way he feels under the law. But God does not require it. And if you understand that God doesn't require it, then you should be freed of that. You know? So he explains that, that, that brethren may get along together. Uh, even Jewish brethren who were trying to hold to that law. Or even some Gentiles who were adopting that and trying to live under the law as well. And then he deals with the, uh, with the days as well, verse 5. He says, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind, he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he does not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, he that giveth God uh, he, that, he that eateth, eateth to the Lord for he giveth God thanks and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks so he's just you know pointing out that there's different ways in which that is viewed and that is looked at and so forth now I'm going to deal first of all these are the two subjects here that we have in chapter 14 and I'm going to deal first of all with a subject about the holy days and I'm going to give you handouts here and if we'll have some ushers Um, I'm going to give Brother Eddie, and Brother Eddie, if you will, make sure the brethren. Some of you brothers come up and give us a hand, pass these out, and uh, give everyone a copy. What you're getting is a copy of what I'm putting up here, and uh, even though you may not be able to read it clearly up here when it comes on, you'll have one in your hand, you understand? And uh, I'm just putting it up here to show you what you're getting. See, this goes down. Yeah, this goes down to here. All right, and it's it's understanding the Sabbath. And I'm going to point out some things to you to help us understand what the Sabbath is all about. And uh, so with the help of the Lord, I want you to look very closely here with the scriptures that I'm going to give you. And when you get your sheet of paper, the first thing that we mentioned here, this is number one here, the word Sabbath means rest. Now, I know you can't read that for where you are, and I'm aware of it. That's why I give you handouts. So when you get your handout, you understand the word Sabbath means rest. Uh, the, I think the Jews pronounce it sabbat, sabbat, they really is the way they do it, sabbat. And so it just simply means rest. Sabbath means rest. And so the Sabbath uh, of anything is the rest that God grants or gives or whatever. So it's the rest. It means rest. Now, number two, and if you look at number two on your sheet of paper there, I'm trusting everybody has a copy uh, and... uh, Brother, if you've got any left over, make sure people that come in late maybe get a copy because we'll be on this for a few minutes. And uh, if you'll follow along with us. You know, number two, in the Old Testament under Moses' law, the Sabbath was held on the seventh day as the day of rest. Everybody get that? Under the law of the Old Testament. And it was always on the seventh day. And... Uh, One of the reasons for that is because that in the Ten Commandments, one of the the commandments that the Lord gave was to remember uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, keep it holy. And of course, to them, that meant to obey it and do whatever the law required them to do and so forth. Now look at number three here. This commandment of keeping the Sabbath on the seventh day was for Israel only. I'm going to show you that in the scriptures. It's for Israel only. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me here to Exodus chapter 31. And this is in your notes. All these scriptures are in your notes there. So on number three, the very first scripture that you have where it says the Sabbath day, the seventh, the Sabbath on the seventh day was for Israel only. Look at Exodus 31. 31 and 13. This is where the Lord's commanding, and actually this uh These verses of scriptures here is is applying. Well, let me just read it to you. 13, speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between you, me, and you, and throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. This is speaking of Israel. Look down in verse 16. Verse 16 down through 17. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. Everybody follow me here on this? This was a commandment in the Old Testament that God gave Moses for the children of Israel. That they were to keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. That was that old covenant. Old Testament means old covenant. And that was a covenant Israel had with God. In the New Testament, that we live under a new covenant, which means New Testament, we live in the New Testament. That was the covenant that Jesus made with His disciples at the Last Supper. I'm not getting into details on that, but there's two different covenants here: Old Covenant, New Covenant, or Old Testament, New Testament. So He is saying here, to, in the 16th verse, therefore, wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. Verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. It's between them. Everybody with me on that? So I'm just pointing this out to you here so that you understand that. Now, we did we referred there to Exodus 28, which is the one where it says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's found in, the, in Exodus 20. Exodus 20 is where the Ten Commandments are found. It's also found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Those are the two places you find the, the Ten Commandments listed, stated in, in order uh, in, the, in the Bible and in, in the Old Testament at least. Now look with me also in the book of Ezekiel here. I'm showing you here that the, uh, the keeping the Sabbath, keeping the seventh day as the Sabbath was primarily to Israel. This is Ezekiel chapter 20. And this is where the Lord is telling Ezekiel, tell the children of Israel they haven't done what I asked them to do. And he says here in 2012, moreover also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. So what I'm pointing out to you here from these scriptures is that this was a, this was a covenant or part of the covenant that God had with Israel that they remember the Sabbath and keep it on the seventh day. That was for them and so forth. Now, if you look at in your notes, now I'm going to go to number four here. This is number three. If you go to number four in the New Testament, and this is very important, this is where we are today. In the New Testament, the early church observed the first day of the week as the Lord's day, as the Lord's day because Christ rose from the dead on the first day. Uh, if our uh, people upstairs could give us Matthew 28.1, is that possible? I don't know if they've got Matthew 28.1. Do we have anybody up there? All right. 28.1, where is it? No. Okay, thank you. It says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene. Notice, first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Marys to see the sepulcher. This is when Jesus had risen from the dead. And there's other scriptures. I just use this one in Matthew. Mark says the same thing. Luke, I think, has one very similar to that where it speaks about Jesus rising the first day of the week. And I don't think any of us even question that. But the point I'm simply making here without any, uh, without any argument is that the first day of the week was called the Lord's Day because Christ rose on the Lord's day. Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. I'm going to show you here that the early church did not observe the seventh day as their day of worship. They observed the first day. Look at 27. These are all scriptures to substantiate. This is uh, Acts 27. It says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread... Paul preached unto them. Okay, I won't go any further because it has to do with the young man that, was, that was fell out of the window and so forth. But it goes on to say here, the first day of the week, the first day of the week because that was the day that they came together to worship. Praise God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at this one very closely here with me. 16.2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay aside, lay by him in store, if God hath prospered him. This is speaking of giving tithes and offerings and so forth. And particularly here, Paul was talking about him making a collection from the, the Corinthian church to send to the Christians who were in Jerusalem, who were going through some very tough times with a famine. And he asked the Gentile churches to help support them to feed them and take care of their needs, and they did. So he said, When I come, he said, the first day of the week. And the reason was because that was their day of worship, and that was when they came together to worship the Lord. Uh, this is another interesting. Look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. And uh, what I'm doing here is showing you verses where the first day of the week was very important to the early church. We're saying, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. This is Revelation 1.10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's, that is Sunday. That's the first day of the week. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And then he goes on to talk about how he had this vision and God appeared to him and talked to him. And from that came the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation happened to the, to the apostle John On the Isle of Patmos where he was in bondage, he was a slave worker, he was a salt mine situation, and he was working as a slave, and on this particular Sunday morning, God gave him the vision of the book of Revelation, in which uh, he wrote the book of Revelation, and it was all on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Everybody stay with me. I'm trying to point out to you here that this was the way that the early church did that, and this is what they followed, and so forth. So if you look at number five then here in your notes, Sunday was not established by the early church as a Sabbath, but uh, was not, as a, that is a day of rest, but as a day of worship. Everybody still with me on that? Listen to what I just said. Look at that number five very closely. Sunday was not established by the early church as a Sabbath. That is a day of rest, but it is a day of worship. How many of you uh, come to church and you like to worship God on Sunday and glorify the Lord? It's not, a, it's not a day of rest. We come to worship the Lord. You ought to see us when we really get to worshiping. I mean, it's a, everything but rest, you know? This old, this old preacher wears me out sometimes. But it's, it's a joy in my heart to see you people worshiping God. But it's not a day of rest. It's a day of worship. I am going to talk to you what the rest is. And how the rest does apply to our lives. And how the rest is fulfilled in our lives. It is. Praise the Lord. But the Lord has given us the first day of the week as a day of worship. I might uh, I just tell you this. With the Jewish people. Uh, the seventh day is still their day of, uh, of rest. And it is still their holy day. It still is. Uh, as Christians of course observe the first day of the week. Uh, the Muslims they, they, uh, they regard Friday as their day, their holy day, Friday. Friday is their church day, or what you want to call it, when they shut down everything, and that's their holy day. Uh, we were in the Dubai uh, Arab Emirates here, I don't know, several years ago. And uh, when we were there, it was doing Ramadan, and it was in, I think, September, Ramadan was going on. And uh, they fast all day. They fast all. Day. They don't. They don't eat anything all. day. for a month they fast, but they party at night. <laughs> the Muslims do. They party all night. They sleep all day. You know. So they don't. You know. So when the sun goes down, then they can they can eat and drink, and that's when they party. And then they start party. They party all night. They have big banquets and dinners and all that kind of stuff. You know, and everything. And, and uh, so, but that that day, they could. They when it came to that particular Friday. Man, I'm telling you what, we couldn't hardly get a drink of water anywhere. It was between Ramadan and, and Friday. We couldn't hardly, and we had to eat in secret. We had to eat in secret. You know, you had to get in a little old corner someplace and eat a little McDonald's sandwiches you picked up someplace, you know. And it was sort of crazy, but we got through it all okay. But I'm just saying, Friday is their holy day. And of course, we were there to preach to the churches. And so we probably went to about three different churches on Friday That was their their worship day, so we went to all the Christian churches and preached different ones. Pentecostals, you know, Apostolics. There was there was all kinds of nationality. Filipino national Apostolics. That was uh, I don't know. I can't remember all of them, but you know, we went to three different services uh, during that particular Friday. I'm just trying to tell you here that's their holy day. So the Muslims have theirs. uh, The Jews still have theirs, and the Christians, of course, they still worship on Sunday. I might just tell you this, that there are some Christians who feel like that they have to go back and keep the seventh day and keep it under the law, and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are to worship God and glorify God on the first day of the week and that we can do that and and that we honor the Lord in that, and I'm going to show you some scriptures here. Let me show you where this all comes from. This is where the seventh day, or the Sabbath, rather, is. Look at number six here, if you would. Look at number six. And it says here, the apostles condemned observing the seventh day, or any day, any day, to be more sacred than any other day. Now, I'm going to give you some scriptures here. We just got through reading Romans uh, chapter 14, verse 5 and 6, and that's the one we started out with. And if you want to look back at those verses again, I'm going to read it again, 14, 5, and 6 in Romans. We'll start there. It says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Verse 6, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he that giveth God thanks. and so forth. Uh, So it's telling us here, whether we eat or whether we regard days, let everybody be persuaded in his own mind, whatever he thinks there ought to be, but it's okay. The problem is we who regard any day, the ones who say it's got to be the Sabbath, they do not accept us being any day. You know what I'm saying? It can't be on a Sunday, they say. It's got to be on a Saturday. Uh, look at Colossians 2. Look at Colossians 2. I'm giving you scriptures here in the New Testament where, that they, uh, where they worshiped. Let me find it. All right, here we go. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Now, I'm on number 6 here. Everybody with me here? Where my pen is? I'm sorry, my pen's off the... Let me push it up. Right there. Look at number 6 here. The apostles condemned observing the seventh day or any day to be more sacred than any other day. Now, we read Romans to you. Now, look at Colossians 2, 16. It says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. These things were a type of in the Old Testament. They were real for Israel, but they were a shadow or a type of what would be in the spiritual things for the church in the New Testament. Amen. Look in Galatians 4.9. Galatians 4.9. This is uh, so long about, this is writings of Paul as well. But now after that you have known God or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements or until ye desire again to be in bondage, ye observe Days. And months and times and years. In other words, you're keeping all of those feast days and all those holy days of the Old Testament. You observe them. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. I've taught you that all of that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you still want to go back and try to keep that Old Testament law and live under the works. Live under the works of the law. So he's trying to tell them and teach them that this is not what they really have to do. So what we are pointing out to you here is that Paul was trying to help them to understand two elements here. And I'll get on the other one in just a moment. Two elements here, and that was about the holy days and also about those about meats, the kind of meats you eat and so forth. Uh, Let me explain to you where this is fulfilled and how it's fulfilled. Because Sabbath means rest. And when the New Testament would come and Jesus would come... That would all be changed to become a spiritual thing because in the Old Testament it was types and shadows. In the New Testament, it is a spiritual things. Praise the Lord. We have a rest in the New Testament. I'm gonna show you what it is. I'll give it to you in the scriptures. If you got your Bibles there, I want you to look with us in, in Isaiah twenty eight eleven. Isaiah twenty eight eleven. This is where the promise was in the Old Testament. Everybody still with me? Isaiah 28, 11. This is where uh, Isaiah prophesied about something that would come that would be the rest to the people of God, the rest, the Sabbath. Verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet uh, they would not hear. That's speaking of Israel. Israel would not hear. The reason, because it came by the, by the, on the day of Pentecost through the early church and the teachings of Christ that preceded it, it came to them, but they rejected it. If you recall on Acts chapter 2 and the second chapter there, whenever the apostles and the 120 were gathered together and they had been praying in the upper room and they prayed for you know a number of days ten days and the Holy Ghost fell upon them and they began to speak unto them speak, the Lord began to speak through them and they began to speak in other tongues they spoke, spoke in different languages many of the Jews there that were there for the day of Pentecost which was the feast day of the Jews Pentecost means 50 50 days after the Passover they were all there and they they heard these these this 120 disciples, Christian disciples, speaking in tongues. And so they said, what meaneth this? What does this mean, you know? And they said, this is that spoken of by the prophet Joel, saying in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And so this was the Lord saying, what I have promised from old, Jer- Joel in this reference, that I have now, this is what it is, I'm pouring out my spirit upon you. This is the rest wherewith the weary may rest. And then he goes on to say, however, in Isaiah... You wouldn't hear it. And he prophesied here that when Israel heard that, they would not receive it, they would not hear it, they would not accept the rest that God was sending. Praise the Lord. Now, I'll give you some other scripture here in a moment, folks, but the Holy Ghost gives you a rest inside that's unbelievable. It'll give you a peace. The Holy Ghost I'm talking about, Holy Spirit, same thing. The, Holy, the ghost is the old English word for it. But the Holy Ghost will give you a rest in your spirit and in your soul that nothing else can give you. Not even a day of rest can give you what the Spirit of God can give to you and put on the inside of your heart and your soul. Uh, Jesus uh, confirmed that. I want you to go to Matthew 11, 28. Now, you're in uh, Isaiah 28:11. Just reverse those numbers, 28, 11, Isaiah. Go to Matthew 11, 28. And uh, let me show you something here. This is the Lord speaking. And this is in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now Jesus is the only one that can give you his spirit, and he can give you his spirit. All you have to do is ask him for it. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My burden is light. Uh, go to Hebrews 4. And this is where I think this is discussed more than anywhere else. Hebrews 4. And this is where the rest is talked about. Look at verse 1. Hebrews 4. And this is Paul writing to the church, folks, to all of us. Look at, look at it very closely because this applies to us now. It's there 4.1. Therefore, fear lest a promise being left Uh, left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, speaking of the Jews, uh, uh, to us, the Gentiles, to them. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith. In other words, the Jews heard the same word you heard, but they did not receive it through faith the grace was extended but they did not receive it by grace they did not i mean they received grace but they did not receive they did not receive it because there was no faith in them that heard it verse 3 for we which have believed do enter into rest rest as he saith i have sworn in my wrath if he shall enter into my rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world <clears throat> for he spake in a certain Place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place, again, if they shall enter into my rest. Praise the Lord. So the Lord here is talking about, so look at verse nine. I'm jumping ahead here, nine and eleven, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. It says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that entereth into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did his excuse me, verse 11. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, let me just talk to you a little bit. We have a right to that rest. If you do not have the Holy Ghost, that's what the Holy Ghost does. It gives you a rest. Uh, A number of years ago, I was a student at the Apostolic Bible Institute in St. Paul, Minnesota. And, uh, there was a, a team of uh, people who were studying for their doctorate degree at the University of Minnesota, which was uh, in, in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area. And they came to our church there, Brother Norris being pastor there, S.G. Norris. And they came to the church, and they said to him, Reverend, they said, we are studying the subject of the Holy Spirit. Now, they were, they were University of Minnesota students, only they were, they were in their doctorate degree program and it was a woman and two men, and they said, we are studying this, and they said, we, have a, we know enough about it to know that there is something that happens to a person when they receive what they call, and this is a Greek name for glossolalia. How many of you know what glossolalia is? All right, glossolalia is the Greek word meaning speaking in tongues, okay, or speaking in a different language. And this, the Greek word is glossolalia. And they said, uh, we know enough about this glossolalia to know that when people in your church and other churches like yours receive this, that there is something that happens to them. And so we'd like to observe. And so he said, all right. And he had them stay there on, on Sunday morning. And, you know, the altar call was given. People came down and started praying. And when someone started praying through to the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues, he called them over. And he said, now this is what it's like. And they observed it and took notes and all this kind of stuff. The person praying, they didn't their hands up. People praying with them wasn't paying much attention to them either. But they were all taking notes, hearing them speaking in other tongues. They were not critical. They were observing only. And then they said this to, uh, to the pastor, who, Brother brother Norris. They said this to him. They said, Pastor, if we right now, while she's, this woman is speaking in tongues... If we could put heart monitors on her and while she was seeking the Holy Ghost and calling on the Lord, it would show her heart rate going very much like this. She's active. She's excited. She's enthusiastic. She's, you know, she's emotional. Everything's going on. Everything and her heart is going like this. But he said as soon as she began speaking in tongues, and we know this from other observations, when she starts speaking, or started speaking in tongues, he said if that those heart monitors would show that that line had just calmed down. And it was almost like a flat line, meaning that she was totally at rest in her own soul. Now, this is, this is, uh, this is students studying for doctorate degrees at the University of Minnesota, not, not Pentecostal people. And, and he said, you would see that she would be at peace as though she were sleeping. It would be that that at much at peace, that much rest would be upon her as she is speaking in tongues as it was whenever. Listen, folks, let me just tell you this. You know how the Spirit of God does when it comes upon you. You know, it, it makes you excited and so forth, but it also gives you a rest for the soul like nothing in all the world can give it. And I'm telling you that this is the fulfillment of the keeping of the Sabbath. It is us receiving the Holy Ghost, receiving His Spirit in us that we might have that Holy Spirit in us and have the rest that God intends for us to have. We go to church on Sunday and it's our day of worship, not a day of rest. But this whole dispensation of the church age can be a rest to whoever will reach out to God and say, God, let me have your wonderful Holy Spirit In my life and heart, and let me have that. And and speaking in tongues is the evidence of it. That's that's the the initial physical evidence. There are other evidences, you know, how how we live and how we walk, what we, how we talk, how we act, you know, even how you dress. Everything is reflected, you know, the Holy Spirit's in your life. That's all evidences. But the initial physical evidence of the Holy Ghost is when you begin to speak in other tongues, because that's the way the apostles received it. That's the way that early church received it. It's all through the book of Acts, the second chapter. It's in the, it's in the tenth chapter. It's in the nineteenth chapter. You give in first Corinthians thirteen. All in through there, talking about people as they speak with tongues as the Spirit of God moves them. First Corinthians twelve. All of these verses and these chapters, and so forth, let us know that that early church had this marvelous experience of the rest of God. Now, the rest. I'm talking about that that uh, rest from the presence of the Lord. Now, this scripture here is interesting to me, the last one that I read to you. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. This is verse 9 here in Hebrews 4. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, that any man f- fall after the same example of unbelief. Let me just say this to all of us here today. There are times when you can be so apprehensive, you can be so uptight, you can be so troubled. Things can be going on in your life, and you just don't know which way to go, what to do. You don't know what the answer is. You you just feel like your world's upside down, and you don't have to raise your hand, but if I ask for hands, I'm sure a lot of you could identify with what I'm saying. And there can be times like that, but let me just say this to you. If you will go to the Lord in prayer, even if you have the Holy Ghost, you will have times like that. You will. But if you will go to the Lord and say, "God, I just need Your rest, I need Your peace," I'm telling you, God can send and just like an envelope of of His love and His grace and His goodness and His peace and His rest, His rest upon your soul until you are so pleased and so happy and so you feel so fulfilled. I don't know how to describe it. It's just the fact that you know everything's going to be all right and God will take care of it. Amen. And I may be talking to somebody here today, but if you feel so apprehensive, go to God in prayer. And I'm telling you, God can give you that rest. And to us in the New Testament, it's not a particular day of rest that we are to observe. But it is that time of rest that we can have any time in the, in the, throughout the week that you need to have that rest. You could be so troubled. You wake up in the night and you've got problems and troubles or something of that nature. Everything, you go to God in prayer and God will give you rest. Middle of the night, God's given me a lot of answers. Just get up and go pray and talk to God. The answers will come. Praise the Lord. I'm just telling you that God will give you rest for your soul and rest for your heart and rest for your spirit. Amen. If we are willing to say, God, I need your rest and I want your rest upon me. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands right now and just worship him. Let's thank him. Lord, we love you so much. and We thank you, God, for your goodness and grace. We glorify your wonderful name, Lord. We thank you for truth and salvation. Lord, we bless the name of the Lord. God, what a great God you are, a wonderful friend you are. You never fail, Lord. Your ways are high, lifted up. Jesus, we thank you, God, for all things, and we magnify you in Jesus' precious name. Praise God. I uh, let me take. I've got about five minutes, maybe seven, eight minutes here before I finish up. Let me uh, go to the second part here, and that is the New Testament answer to eating meats. This is also talked about in the book of, of Romans. If you'll go back to the book of Romans with me for a moment here. Uh, if you'll notice here, he says, He that uh, verse 6, I think, is the one I'm looking at. I'll read 2 and 3. But I'm sorry, I keep you guys jumping around. Uh, Romans 14, 2 and 3. All right, thank you. It says, For one believeth that he may eat meat, uh, eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let me just say this. If a person eats herbs or something for health reasons, that's really fine. I have no problem with that. I'm going to throw this out, okay? Amen. When Abraham was sitting in his tent door one time, he saw three men coming at him down the road. When he got talking to them, he found out one of them was God in angelic form, the other two were angels. Those other two eventually went to Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed the cities, delivered Lot and his families, as you well know, his family. Uh, when Abraham, though, was sitting at the tent door, and they came, he saw them coming. And he said, quick, we got guests, we got company. And he had them come in, relax, take off your shoes. Servants came and washed their feet. He filled, he killed the fatted calf in the stall, you know, and had them butchered out and cooked and brought to these three men. One of them a God and two were angels. And they were in, and you know, they looked like men. They were just walking in sandals and shoes and everything. And they, the Bible says that they sit down and they ate the fatted calf. <laughs> so anybody has got a problem with eating beef, you know, Jesus ate fish when he was sitting by the Sea of Galilee, you know, that one too, you know. So if you think that eating meat is a sin, well, take it to God and talk to him about it. Or take it to Jesus, talk to him about it, you know. But let me just read to you here what these verses of Scripture says. For one believeth, I'm reading verse 2 again here, fourteen two. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. Okay, and then it goes on to say down in verse 6, I'm going to jump down here. He that regardeth the day regardeth unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And this is a a very important thing to realize because the Lord, praise the Lord, wants us to just be thankful for our food. Let me show you something in Acts chapter 10. If you'll go to chapter 10, verse 9 with us. Acts 10, 9. And uh, this is where... 9 through 16. These are a lot of verses, so I'm going to skip around through here. And uh, this is where Peter was up on a housetop, and the Lord appeared to him in a vision. And he was fixing to go, or fixing to be invited to go to Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and ask a Gentile, and this Gentile man was going to ask Peter, What do I have to do to be saved? And Gentiles were not saved up at this point. And it says, uh, so anyhow, he was on top of this house top, and he was everything. And the Lord sh- let down a sheet. I'm going to jump ahead here. I'm not going to read all of this to you. Uh, anyhow, it says that the Lord showed him all manner of four footed beasts. Verse twelve, where, wherein Acts uh, ten twelve, wherein were all manner of four footed beasts of the earth, of wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, P- Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed that call not thou common. This was done thrice, that means three times, and the vessel was taken up and was received into heaven. So Peter was told to slow you eat, and the Lord said, Anything I've made is not unclean. And from that, Peter was getting the message that what God has ordained, praise the Lord, that he had made all things, that these Gentiles likewise could be saved. And then he went to Cornelius' house. I won't get into all the details here. But he went to Cornelius' house, and as he was preaching the word of God to them, and there was, I think, uh, about six other Jews with him, Jewish men who verified all this really happened, while he was preaching to them, the Holy Ghost fell on all these Gentiles and they all began to speak in other tongues. And the Jews' mouths all fell open and he said, oh my Lord, God's pouring out his spirit on the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So Peter understood then that God said, nothing I've made is unclean. So the Gentiles can be saved as well as we can. Praise God. So, uh, so he started that out by talking about uh, these meats that were unclean. Now look at First Timothy chapter 4 for just a moment. First Timothy 4, and this is a, a very interesting verse of scripture because it, uh, it talks about these meats and so forth. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the spirit speaketh, especially that in the latter times that in the latter times shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry And commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving, received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God, verse 4, is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. That's why we pray before we eat. You can also pray for all the calories to be rebuked. I don't know if that'll help you any, but you can pray for that. And of course, I think we pray that God will make sure that there's nothing on the meat or on the food that's going to make us sick, you know what I mean? You know. But mainly we pray that the food may be sanctified. And it says that it is sanctified through prayer and thanksgiving. And so that's why we pray, we Christians pray. That's the basic reason we pray whenever we do it. For it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. And so, therefore, I don't care what the food is. Now, in the Old Testament, they did not eat, uh, they did not, eat. let's take about, let's talk about fish. They did not eat lobster. They did not eat uh, shrimp. Uh, they didn't eat, uh, you know, shellfish, oysters or whatever. They just go down the line naming them. Most them. They only ate, they didn't eat catfish. They only ate fish that had both fins and scales, you know. And if you go to Israel today, they still abide by that very strictly. And they've got good food and, and you know, and and they fix it all different kind of ways, and it's good. And so forth. But these kind of you don't want to ever find any pork on their menu, you know what I mean? No pork there, so forth. And, uh, no rabbit, you know, whatever. I won't go any further with that. But I'm just trying to say here that there were certain foods they, they could eat, however, grasshoppers. Did you know that? Locusts. Locusts were permitted in the Old Testament, grasshoppers. That's why the Bible says John the Baptist. Ate locusts and wild honey. The locusts were were acceptable, you know. I think some of our our uh, our people from the Hispanics, they have. I've I've eaten some of their their locusts. Have you ever eaten deep fried locusts. anybody eat it? Every okay. Sometimes I hear Hispanics and everything. I, one brother came and he had a bag of locusts all cooked up, and I said, What you're eating? Locusts? Yes, yes. So let me try one. I got at least try one, you know. I read about it, found out they're high in protein and so forth. They could eat that in the Old Testament, but they couldn't eat pork and so forth. But I'm just saying in the New Testament, you can eat whatever you want to if you give God the thanks and praise Him, glorify Him, and say, God, I'm so thankful. I'm going to close with this. I'm going back to Romans here, chapter 14, and I want you to turn over to verse 14. I'm going to close. 14, 14 of Romans. I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. Down in verse 17, for the kingdom of God, that's the church, the kingdom of God on earth, is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And then it goes on to say in verse twenty, for meat destroyeth not the work of God. So whatever meat you eat is not gonna be a problem. And anyone who goes back to those things or wants to start following that and everything, uh, they're just trying to, I don't know, I don't know, they're trying to find something that's just not there. Don't give up Jesus Christ and his grace, amen, to try to live back under the law, folks. God has given us a wonderful thing. Would you stand with me and let's just praise him and glorify him together right now.